0: Hello, and
1: welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theatre Company podcast series.
0: Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theatre Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theatre Company podcast series on all things theatrical. It is a rare event when we have a guest back for a second podcast, and that is the case today with John Gully. John, welcome. Thank, Thank you for you. coming. Thank yeah. you. Thank you John for is directing um, Tally's Folly by Lanford Wilson, which opens at Burning Coal on January 23rd and runs through... February 9th, uh, 2020, here at the Murphy School Auditorium. John, uh, is this your first go-round with Lanford Wilson, the playwright?
1: It is my first go-round. I've I've seen a number of uh, his plays produced, but this is the first one I've directed. First time you've done it, yeah. yeah.
0: And uh, do you recall, I mean, you and I are some close to the same age, and I I think you know, he was certainly uh, one of the seminal American playwrights for people who came of age in the 70s and, and 80s. Do you remember your first experience with Lanford Wilson?
1: I think my first, well, first experience was probably uh, directing some of his students in some of his scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the two productions that really stand out to me uh, that, you that, uh, um, Were the first one was burning, uh, burning Burn this on Broadway with John Malkovich and Joan Allen, and uh, it was fantastic. And but I remember the the searing (laughs) writing to continue the metaphor. Uh, um, it, I think I think Burn this is a little all, all over the place and doesn't doesn't just not like a perfect play. But right. my gosh, the passion in it, yeah. and and uh, Malkovich and and Joan Allen were fantastic. It was interesting. He wasn't even nominated for a Tony Award, and she won one. And the performance I remember is John Malkovich's, Malkovich's sure, sure, um, yeah. who could can chew up some scenery. But my gosh, was he a force of nature? And that was sort of his. I mean, we knew who Malkovich was before that, but that play really brought him to the foreground. The other production I remember, speaking of John Malkovich, was John Ma- the production that John Malkovich directed of *Bomb and Gilead* at um, Circle Rep, which is where Lanford Wilson and another and, Lanford and, Wilson played and, uh, yeah. and and um, uh, the director of Marshall Marshall Mason. Mason yeah, um, sure. yeah. And and but Malkovich's production of *Bomb and Gilead* was fantastic and that and I, was, uh, and that, that was uh, I think Gary Sinise was in that and um, L- Laurie, Metcalf Laurie Metcalf was unbelievable yeah. I can yeah. still remember that There was a huge monologue that that character has and, yeah. and, uh, and he used all Springsteen music um, this was in the maybe the late 80s can't was go it, wrong with Springsteen. Oh, it's just a fantastic production.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard uh, Laurie Metcalf uh, d- did a little piece of that monologue at a eulogy for Lanford Wilson when he died. And it's on YouTube. You can catch just a small piece oh, of wow, it. But even yeah. there, it's just uh, yeah. hilarious and, uh, and touching and everything. Um, and so um, Circle Rep uh, is a, something that's very much uh, of interest to me. This was a company that Lanford Wilson and Marshall Mason helped uh, to found in the mid-1960s in New York City. Mm -hmm. And it carried on into the 80s, so more than 20 years, closer to 30, I think. And I'm just wondering if you had any um, feelings about that company, uh, about its place in the history of American theater in the 20th century, I have a lot of feelings about it, and I'm w- wondering how other people feel, if other people feel the same way as I d- do about it.
1: Well, I think about it sort of, and you probably know more about it, but I, I think about it sort of in the same way. When you think of the Moscow Art Theater, you think of Chekhov, you know, the, the, these writers that were attached to these companies. You think yep. of the group theater. You think of Clifford Odette's think of circle, circle Rep I mean Circle. what would Circle Rep be with, have been without Lanford Wilson mm-hmm. certainly uh, Marshall Mason and directors there produced directed other pieces but yep. that Lanford Wilson they, they, it, I'm not sure there would have been a Circle Rep without Lanford Wilson certainly we wouldn't be talking about it with, yeah. um, in the same way
0: most of the other writers were writing at a level that might have attained a sort of off Broadway status mm-hmm. there were a couple mm-hmm. that went I think the Runner Stumbles mm-hmm. might have oh, started right, there right, right. Uh, but um, but uh, but Generally speaking, he was the one that pushed them into the world-class um, milieu, I think. And 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 the thing that they uh, seem to have that that I think that you know that doesn't exist very much anymore is that idea of company. Mm-hmm. You know, Wilson wasn't just writing plays; he was writing plays for very specific actors, and with directors in mind, and even with designers in mind. And, uh, and the results were extraordinary, and I just wonder why we in the American Theater have given up on that idea so quickly, so easily.
1: Well, it's expensive as all get out, as you well know. Yeah. I, I, I worked uh, direct, directed at the Oslo Theater in Sarasota, Florida for years, and th- they were, w- at that time we were one of the last m- well, heck no, we're still one of the last because because Ashland, Oregon, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, a few other companies were doing rotating rep, but we were one of the last that did true rotating rep, mm-hmm. where where you had we had three shows running at a time, and built around a company of performers. We would we would do New York auditions and bring in a few people, but um, now that we were not doing new plays in the same way that um, uh, Circle Rep was doing, right. but but no, it's um. Uh, it, it's, I, I, I miss it enormously, and I, 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 I wish we could get funding enough to reinvent companies again. Because right now it's, it's, it's too much just sort of, you know, one and done. You, mm-hmm. you, you, you create a company for one show, and then you blast them apart. Now you have a number of perform- performers, obviously, including Emily Reeder um, who who you go back to, um, right. uh, which is which you know creates some of that um, uh, sense, which is awesome. And so for me to come back and work with you two, feels like I'm coming back to uh, coming home to a company and people that I know. And when we and it gives you a kind of shorthand, you know, you and Emily and I can just sort of launch right yep. into it. In yep. a space uh, that you know, In a space well. that I know, and yeah. and that that does not happen. It's it is. It's very sad. It does not happen much with companies anymore.
0: Right. Um, I remember when I first moved to New York, I I had two very close encounters with Circle Rep and I didn't really even know it at the time. My first uh, acting class that I took was at a place called the Actor's Playhouse, which was right across the street from Circle Rep. Mm -hmm. It was an off-Broadway theater, about a hundred and maybe 175 seat um, house that did a lot of very strange... uh, uh, the kinds of plays that were going to sell well in the West Village um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the guy who ran it, this old grizzled old veteran named Jack Ross, who talked like this and would say, "Who wants to do the next scene? Um, he did this uh, thing on Saturday, <coughs> do your class and then on, on Monday, he would invite four or five of the scenes to perform on Monday night, which was their off night, Mm -hmm, obviously, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and just open the door and let anybody in. Wow. And so if it was raining, you had a full house, a full house (laughs) of New York uh, theater goers, fairly sophisticated people, and you're up there doing a scene from, you know, a Lanford Wilson play or something like that. And, And I got to perform several times like that. But just walking out that door and seeing this mysterious building across the street with all these extraordinary names associated with it. And then the other thing was my second acting class, and the one that I really consider my first acting teacher, Jack, was good, but he wasn't really a a, a renowned teacher, was Julie Bovasso, who was a famous... uh, uh, actor, but also a playwright and a director whose work had been done uh, significantly at Circle Rep as well, and and of course I didn't know know any of that at the time. Mm-hmm. I was just wandering around like most twenty something year olds do when they get to New York. But but I just um, I think that they've touched so many people uh, in, in this country. And you look back, and you look, and you can find a few of them. Mm-hmm. The one you referred to in Florida, the Aslo mm-hmm. um, Steppenwolf in Chicago. I'm going
1: to I'm going to be in Chicago next 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 week for uh, graduate school auditions, and I'm going to go see Bug. Oh, by Tracy Letts yeah, yeah. and Steppenwolf, and Steppenwolf is and Tracy yeah. Letts. Although steps Tracy Letts sort of came out of the company much later, yes. But Steppenwolf's one of those companies that even to this day struggles. Laurie Metcalf and mm-hmm. you know uh, John Malkovich and
0: Mahoney uh, when G- he was alive. G- G- John, John Mahoney, Gary Sinise.
1: That that. Yeah. But even to this day, I think Steppenwolf's one of the few companies that still struggles, tries at least to maintain that sense of company and a lot of those original performers come back when they can yeah. to either act or direct it's their home it's their home right. or an artistic home right. Yeah. Um, and uh, that. and I, well, I think I you know I applaud you for for doing doing trying to do that and doing that with some yeah. success here. Yeah. There's a, a group of artists that that you know sort of you, you feel sort of hover around this the Murphy School and mm-hmm. the warehouse where we rehearse and but mm-hmm. scenery is built and um, yeah. uh and you, you you see that in in smaller companies all around the country, um, um, many right. companies that people don't know outside of that community, but inside that community, you know, are right. are important part of the um, artistic sense of expression yeah. of that
0: community. Right, right. they in, so, in many ways give voice to the community. Yeah. Um, and um, the one thing that I will comment on there is that, uh, that unlike Circle Rep or unlike Steppenwolf or the Aslo, uh, in most of those companies people aren't paid or they aren't paid enough to put their entire focus and energy on what they do. Exactly. And I've always felt that it was odd that we do that. You know, I've, uh, I've said this before, and maybe even on this podcast, but we we don't say I'm gonna go to the barber who works out of his van. Right. Uh, we would never think of doing that. Right. We're not gonna go to the butcher who has a garage uh, where he sells meat out of it. You know, we're gonna go to the professional butcher, the professional barber, the professional baker. But when we go for art, All across this country, we turn to people who have already expended an enormous amount of energy just to pay their rent, and now whatever energy they have Mm -hmm. left over, they're going to put toward their art, and I think that's such a a dreadful um, model and one that needs to be changed, so if you're in government and you're (laughs) listening to this podcast... And now you know what to do. And um, of
1: course in Ireland and the UK and the continent, um, Russia, you know, that yeah. Russia. that Russia that model still exists although it's being challenged there. And yeah, and the yeah. National Theater and yeah. the Royal Shakespeare Company in, in the in in England are are having to sort of they're 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 stealing a lot of art. What the, the 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 government's realizing, hey Let's do There's what America's doing and yeah. have it make you know. Then let, let's make them rely more on donations, and right. it's it's um, it's yeah. undercutting their artistic mission. And
0: they call it austerity. Yes, <laughs> I think we should let Wall Street go on an austerity diet for exactly. a while. How do you feel about that? Exactly. So uh, so talk to me about Tally's Folly. Tally's Folly is uh, is one of my favorite plays. It's one reason why I'm acting in it because I didn't want to. I was too selfish to give the role up to anybody else. <laughs> but what do you think? How do you, do you remember? When when you first encountered *Tally's Folly*,
1: I don't remember when I first encountered it, but I've always liked it. I never realized how good it is until until you talked to me last year about doing it, and I obviously immediately read it. and um, And since then, and even through today's rehearsal uh, that we're talking now on Sunday before we open, yeah. um, I I realize more and more just how. Um, uh, um, em- em- emotionally impactful, um, complex, rich, and effortless—the yeah. play feels. Yeah. And I think you know, I think most people sort of agree that this was his best play. And I think there's there's no question. And he wrote some great ones, but I think in terms of just overall yeah. artistic um, quality, this this is this is his best piece because it's about so much, but it just feels like. Ninety minutes with two people um, uh, encountering each other, um, and it almost doesn't feel like you're watching a play. It feels like you're just happen to have stumbled upon this, this um, boathouse, strange, mm-hmm. run down boathouse, and you happen to be sort of peering in on this odd couple coming together yeah. and uh, trying to trying to um, crashing into each other. Uh, emotionally and sometimes physically, <laughs> and trying to figure out how to move forward. Um, and it's, uh, um, it, it's, it's rare when you have 90 minutes of writing where you do not have a sense of the writing in quotes. You do not have a sense of, um, uh, there, there's so many plays, and even mm, I think most of Lanford's other plays, at times, you're sort of aware of the writer at work, of the wheels ch- turning, of yeah. calculation, and this just feels so effortless. And it's also due to the wonderful work you and you and Emily Reader are doing. So,
0: well, it's not difficult to do with a script like this. It's difficult to memorize, <laughs> <laughs> and difficult to remember some of the staging sometimes, but uh, but it's not difficult to find the the humanity in these two characters and. One of the things Trish Hawkins talked about when we were on the podcast with her a couple that, of that's days ago—that's fantastic. You were able to set yeah, that up. Yeah, yeah. And she's such a lovely woman. She uh, she had originated um, Sally in the young Sally in mm-hmm. Tally's Folly, not Sally the older Sally in Fifth of July. But uh, she um, she talked about how the um, the the play is written by a man from rural Missouri, Missouri, mm-hmm, Missouri mm-hmm. Uh, Lanford Wilson, and one of the two characters is a Lithuanian Jew. Uh, born, uh, you know, around the turn of the century, and, and how in the world did he find that? How did he find that voice, and, and that um, um, humor, and grace, and despair, and frustration, and all the things that, uh, that he has, uh, that Matt has. When you... Um, well, I, I had to go yeah.
1: back and, and sort of, because as I I had the same sort of impression and sense, and as I was working, on, I was thinking, I had to go, wait a second was Lanford Wilson Jewish and I didn't know it. Was Lanford <laughs> no. Wilson, you know, did he have roots in Eastern Europe and I didn't know it and of course he didn't. Well, and yeah. and he's just that 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 that's even more impressive.
0: And it's not uh, and it's likely that he didn't really grow up around a uh, Jewish community right, either. Right. I mean, I, I, we don't know that for sure, but um, but the likelihood is strong that he was using largely his imagination and people he might have met when right. he moved to New York, but right. uh, so um so Wilson um wrote Tally's Folly, um and then he uh but before that he had written Fifth of July. Is that a play you've you've had any experience Love Fifth
1: with? Of July. I I mean I've I've directed students in scenes from it, scenes lots seen lots of scenes. I've actually never seen Fifth of July produced. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely on my bucket list list 'cause that, that is maybe my second favorite, I'm not sure. Burn yeah. this. Fifth of July. Fifth of July is also yeah. just a wonderful play and um
0: it is, uh, yeah. It really is. It needs uh,
1: to be done more. Deserve to be done more.
0: We um, we have not done that one yet. Uh, we have done the mound builders, which mm-hmm. is another of his plays. Mm-hmm. which, which that, I, I've
1: seen that one produced.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But fifth uh, of July is a is an ac- actually a prequel to to uh, no sorry a sequel, sequel to Tally's Folly. Even though it was written uh, before Tally's mm-hmm. Folly, and he did this thing where he took a character in 5th of July and said I'm going to make a whole play about that person Sally right even though she's by no means the central character of 5th of July and I wonder you know we see that in movies a lot maybe even novels Tom right. Clancy you know writes about but we don't see that in theater very much where a writer you know writes about an extended family as it mm-hmm, were mm-hmm. Um, I wonder why that is. Have you? Have you ever I don't. It? I don't
1: know. You know, because um, uh, um, Wilson was even planning to write more plays, um, and I think he had just at least beginnings of drafts of another play or two, of the Talley saga. Yeah. Um, O'Neill, at the end of his life, started a big nine-play saga that he got three or four drafts of three or four plays mm-hmm. done. Um, August Wilson August is Wilson his of cycle, course yeah. may be the most famous although yeah. the, do the characters track through I don't no, think they really, really do really. It's that's sort of play by decade it's he always in Pittsburgh right and it's but a the, and it's, it starts in yeah. the 1900s about around 1900 and moves to the yeah. 20th century yeah. um, and
0: Horton Foote who the two of us worked with right. um, uh, in New York New Jersey New York uh um, did that with his orphans' home cycle, That's true. and Absolutely. he did have some, some right. characters uh, all set in one little town in mm-hmm. Texas, I believe. So I mm-hmm. guess, yeah, you're right. I guess there is some of that. But there's,
1: there's not a whole lot. It's, it's true. Um,
0: what, uh, what do you uh, do next? Uh, you're uh, in the middle of your semester, or, or you're beginning the second uh, semester at, this year at uh, UNC Greensboro, mm-hmm. uh, where you teach acting. Uh, what, what do you have coming up as a director?
1: Well, as a, as a teacher, what I've got coming up is I've got my two second-year MFA graduate directors doing their thesis productions this year, and one is is in the, in the middle of rehearsals now for The Tempest, a really mm-hmm. interesting production of The Tempest. Yeah. I think she's setting, setting it post... World War II, sort of uh, early, mid-50s. It's not uh, in a boathouse, is it? Not <laughs> in a boathouse, <laughs> okay. but it does have Prospera, uh, uh-huh. uh, which I think, uh, uh, which totally works. I mean, sure. you, have to, you don't have to mess with the writing at all. No. To, um, and then my other grad student is doing something completely different, um, directing town, which is a mm-hmm. fabulous musical um, mm-hmm. in, um, in April. I think the next thing I will be doing, is still in developing, but I think I'll be doing... Um, George Bernard Shaw's St. Joan next year oh, at UNCG nice. and doing some kind of um, cutting slash adaptation. Um, I think probably a sort of a mash-up. I think UN, UNCG is doing a, a sort of theme next year called She Can, We Can, mm-hmm. sort of based around feminism and... Um, and so we're picking a season that reflects that, and Saint Joan, of course, is perfect. And Saint Joan talk about a timely play, yeah, um, both about the about this, the, the, the the strong strong woman, but also um, a play that speaks to the politics up today and um, the individual versus the sort of military, industrial, religious complex. Yeah.
0: Um, I was thinking of Greta Thunberg as mm-hmm. well. Uh, there's a, absolutely. a modern day Absolutely, Joan. absolutely. yeah,
1: yeah. I, she's just not available for, <laughs> but uh, no, she, you're absolutely right. She is, yeah. she is a St. Joan, yeah. um, and, and as with St. Joan, lots of people don't understand her. Lots of people think she's a nut. Um, mm-hmm. uh, or taking advantage of a situation, taking advantage yeah. of, and, and and just like Joan, Greta is just like us. This laser beam, she's just staying right with it and letting nothing throw her off, which is pretty impressive.
0: I wonder how many people throughout history were on the spectrum in some way, and and uh, we thought of them as being right. strange, you know, because like as Saint Joan was perceived to be, right. Uh, but uh, might have gotten a different uh, assessment had, had, mm-hmm, had mm-hmm, we had, mm-hmm, had medicine absolutely it, yeah possible um landford uh, wilson returning to to landford um a bit um wrote uh, in different um uh, genres you know he was a playwright, he wrote for television mm-hmm. some and uh, and even for film. A little bit, um, and also I think was an essayist, and had started out wanting, if I remember right, wanting to be a visual artist. Um, do you um, see that much in our writers today, in the playwrights that are coming out now? Do you see people who, who are broad-based and are capable of working in different areas and that sort of thing, or does it feel uh, like uh, a absolutely?
1: More? No, I think we are we are moving, seeing more and more of that. Um, uh, when you look at you know whether it's Hamilton or um, um, Susan Laurie Parks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's wonderful to see how uh, writers are moving away. There's nothing wrong with American realism or contemporary realism, but they're 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 move, they're writing in verse. They're setting plays, uh, um, you know, in the 19th century or mm-hmm. in the future or weird combinations. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think we're going to look back and see that we're either in or entering a golden age of, of writing. But, you know, back, back to Lanford Wilson and back to Tally's Folly, I think one of the things that um, it's difficult to understand, appreciate, is the the poetry of Tally's Folly. I, I think it's easy to watch a, 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 a production of Tally's Folly, especially a good production, which I think we've got here, and walk away, just you know, sort of thinking, oh, isn't that a nice slice of life? Well, there's nothing wrong with it. It is abs- it is a slice of life in a way, but it's 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 difficult to appreciate the um, the 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 writing, W R I G H T I N G, the yeah. the the architecture, the mm-hmm. poetry, the craft, um, the mm-hmm. craft that goes yeah. into something like this in order to create, make it look like a slice of life because it's um it's. It's absolutely poetry. You know, we sort of think poetry has to be verse or something. The, 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 um, uh, the way he puts this together and the language, I think even of, of your opening speech, yeah. there is a house on the hill, there is a girl oh. in the hill, there is da-da-da, da-da-da, you get this, yeah. you know, he's very aware of its prose, but it's heightened prose, and he's very aware of the, um, especially at the sort of critical moments, the critical scenes, the critical monologues, of the um, meter of the prose, mm. and and that's why I think it's one of the reasons it's so easy for actors to do, and why actors like material like mm-hmm. this because he's writing behavior and he's writing it so poetically and beautifully, and thinking about the poet, the the linguistic structure, mm. um, and he's this is he's at his height of height of his powers. And I I bet you he would think I'm nuts because he would probably say, I didn't think about, you know, Shakespeare didn't have to think about iambic pentameter at his sight. He was just, he was breathing Mm -hmm. iambic pentameter. And I think Mm -hmm. we see Lanford Wilson at the height of his powers now where, um, he you know, I I think it was written pretty quickly, wasn't it, as I recall? And it feels like that, Um, uh, which doesn't mean it was easy to do or you know <laughs> doesn't mean there's no no art, art art to it because it just came out it was this was a piece that he had sort of been working up to i think his whole,
0: he, whole career in some ways he talked about uh starting fifth of july which he wrote before this setting it in a um i think he said an insurance office in chicago He started with the story about the Eskimo. uh, Oh my uh, gosh, I never, I didn't know that, yeah. Uh, The one that Jeff Daniels Mm -hmm, did, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and he played around with it and played, and then he moved it out to Los Angeles, I think, where he had lived for a brief time and thought that it was there and then one day he said oh I know where they are they're in Missouri where I grew up uh, and suddenly 5th of July happened at that point uh, so he was somebody that was flexible he wasn't rigid the thing that I see in a lot of uh, especially young playwrights is is this sort of rigidity of no this is it right. uh, you know we've I've got I wrote this don't you dare criticize it right and, uh, and he was criticizing himself there he was saying this isn't working why isn't it working what if we did this and so anyway, and and then the other thing buried along with the poetry, which I think is an important thing to uh, to think about as well is there is a, a politics to this. Right. One of the subtle things, I'm going to stop talking for a minute and m- meld this into a question <laughs> somehow, I promise, but but he found a way to uh, but by setting the play in July, on July 4th, mm-hmm. right, which is Independence Day, 1944, <coughs> which was just before it became apparent just how bad the Hitlerism was, right? Up until Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, point, mm -hmm. we knew they had invaded countries, we knew that Hitler was kind of a whack job, but we didn't know about the concentration camps much, or at least the majority of the public didn't know about it. Um, and, um, And so by setting the play before that, I think he, he he relies on the audience to have information that the characters themselves don't have, and that uh, creates um, an interesting tension in the politics mm-hmm. of it, and allows it to to lay there in the play without be overwhelming right, the play. Right. Is, is that a fair? Assessment? I think that's totally mm-hmm. fair,
1: and of course, then on on top of that, or in addition to that, or the politics of. His, his his critique of the military-industrial complex, mm-hmm. um, uh, which and the way he does that, and it's going back to George Bernard Shaw in some ways, and, and Saint Joan, and but Shaw and Lanford Wilson and the great writers have a way of subsuming these political ideas into a a story, but into uh, 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 through a comic voice, they they distill it through a comic voice, and they can they can get away with things that. Um, I mean, back to David. I mean, we have mentioned David Hare, but you and I yep. last worked last worked together on Sky David World. Hare's wonderful yeah. Skylight, yeah. which I think is one of his best plays. I agreed. But, uh, uh, but David Hare, at his worst or best or most obvious, is a very political playwright, hitting you over the head, and nothing wrong with that. I love that about David Hare, and I wish there were more American writers like yes, your your friend David Edgar and David yeah. David Hare, Tom who, Stoppard. Tom Stoppard, who. Yeah deliberate you know directly confront political issues. American writers tend to shy away, but I'm, I'm, it was another thing I was struck by coming back to um, Tally's folly from you know having read it a few times and worked on scenes. I had totally forgotten how political it is mm. and how directly it is, political it is. but I, but I, I don't, I don't want to scare audiences away in, in, in thinking they're going to come and see this. but I think I know audiences are going to leave. Maybe without even quite realizing, realizing it with a better understanding of um, what what happened to the socialism, the idea of socialism and unions in the thirties because of World War II, mm-hmm. um, and obviously you know winning World War II was you know <laughs> obviously important and critical and yes. whatnot. Yeah. But but uh, America, I think, also it, 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 it lost a moment there. Yeah. Um, uh, because, um, as 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 your character says, uh, as Matt Friedman says in the opening of of Tally's Folly, um, w- once again, as what happened in World War One, a war saved America economically, allowed us to move forward um, in, in ter- into greater prosperity. But the gap between the haves and the have nots opened, continued to open even wider. And now, what, 70 years later, the gap is, that gap is even more enormous. a chasm, and I think Lanford Wilson uh uh saw that come it it's, it'd, yeah. it'd be I be I would I'd love to have him here and even comment on that because he' he saw that
0: wouldn't it be um, nice to have a story about the tally family in 2020 yeah that would be something uh, yeah. in the era of Trump
1: um, but the way that Wilson um subsumes the polit- the political message yeah. into the story. It's really masterful. Yeah. But I don't think that means he loses it. I don't I don't think no. I don't think he was shying away from it. He was just making sure we got it and he knew we couldn't get it if he just has Matt Friedman and Sally Talley come out and bunk us on the head with yeah. you know the the how important economic uh, equality is, et cetera. Et cetera yeah they cetera, never talk
0: about politics really or if they do it's very tangential in the play. Uh, last question, um, and we'll wrap up for the day. Emily Reeder, go.
1: <laughs> She's amazing, and and you know you know it better than I do because you're up on stage with her. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, I'll take a little bit of credit because I was she she took a couple acting classes with me at U N C G, just a few years ago, and uh, um, started in a Meisner class and. And as you well know, Meisner um, uh, is a version of Stanislavski training, but Meisner, is his 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 obsession is getting actors to work off of each other, to be present, to be alive in the moment. Mm-hmm. And it must be a joy to be up there with Emily Reader because yeah. she's just always there with you. Um, and whatever you do, she's working off of it. Um, and even today, I just saw a couple of places, and I've, I see you doing it too, but a couple places where you, in the in the in the in the moment, in the imaginary circumstances, you ticked her off, and boy, she was she went for it, and then that allows you to go off of that and off of that, and it becomes this this wonderful set of dominoes falling. Yeah. But it's not just a linear set; it's a complex three dimensional set of dominoes. She's she's awesome, and because she's so alive, she's got this. Um, it allows her access to this huge emotional life she has right there in the moment but yeah. she she does not play the emotion which is one of the things that you know sometimes actors you know, I'm, I'm 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 having an emotional moment, having a limp moment. I'm crying a little bit. Like, look at look at me cry. Look at me emote. Right. She never does that. No, she's, you she's, always
0: feel like she's fighting against. Right. That, she's so, fighting against yeah. it
1: because she knows that the character needs something in the story more than the character needs to show the audience. <laughs> you know but, that they're emoting. Right. They yeah. Um, and yeah. so, yeah, she's she's a, 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 just a wonderful uh, actor and an absolute joy to work with. Yeah. And what's our next project with I'm, working
0: on <laughs> <it>. <laughs> I'm working on it uh, John uh, thank you again for doing this thank you for, um, for directing the play, thank you for uh, agreeing to work with me, and um, I know you have a long drive each day from Greensboro Inn and, and that's uh, not nothing. You know, that's an enormous sacrifice on your part in the middle of a semester. Oh so. no,
1: please, it's it's um, it's a joy, and to work with you guys and on material like this, and many many thanks.
0: Okay, and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time at Into the Fire.
1: Thank you for listening. Our production of Tally's Folly will run from Thursday, January 23rd through Sunday, February 9th. For tickets or more information, please visit our website at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.